0: Welcome everyone to your bubble of wellness through science, cultivating a new generation. Enjoy a relaxing adventure with your inner health, understanding its five core pillars. We'll go deep into the science and wellness of nutrition, exercise and metabolism, emotions, consciousness and meditation and abundance. Enjoy the ride. Are you conscious that every one of your habits is playing a huge influence in your actions? Science now has identified the regions of the brain that have a function to assess what you have been doing. Doesn't it sound amazing? You have an error correction process already in place, you just need to enhance it and make it conscious. Discover more in this episode 42 of The Power of Your Habits. Welcome to Season 3. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, Cultivating a New Generation. In today's episode, we are beginning the Season 3 and a new year, 2022. Welcome to this new year. Welcome to this new experience. We are going to talk about, in this episode 42nd, the power of your habits. As we are beginning the year, it is extremely important to Remember that without a good habit, we are being driven into the automatic behaviors that usually are more toxic. So we are going to dive deep in this uh, topic, in this science of habits. And we are going to reflect and use an article to do it. The article is good habits and bad habits. From Graybill Grey- and published in 2014 in Scientific American. As we repeat a behavior, it becomes laid down in special habit circuits involving the brain's striatum. That is the science that we know now, and the circuits treat the habit as a single chunk of information or unit of automatic activity. Another brain region that is involved in the formation of the habits is the neocortex, which monitors the habits. However, tweaking the neocortex in the lab experiments with rats shed light of the signals that can interrupt a habit and even prevent from forming it. So that's extremely important to understand how we are working with our habits in terms of the brain regions and how we can interfere with the toxic ones and stimulate the positives. Every day, we are all engaged in a surprising number of habitual behaviors which we are not aware of them. Many of them from brushing our teeth to driving a familiar route, simply allow us to do certain things on autopilot and not using too much energy from our brains. So they are not overtaxed and they have energy to concentrate in other behaviors and in countless tiny adjustments that we are doing in these kind of automatic behaviors. Other habits such as jogging may help us stay healthy and regularly popping three threads of candy dish which are the toxic ones or engaging in binge eating and habits that wander into the territory of compulsions or addictions such as overeating as mentioned or smoking can threaten our existence because we are also not aware of them and they are extremely powerful to lead you into many toxic behaviors that will stimulate the development of many chronic diseases. Research suggests that by deliberately conditioning our brain, we might be able to control habits, good and the bad. That promise springs from one of several surprises that science has uh, enlightened now that even when it seems we are acting automatically, part of our brain is still dutifully monitoring our behavior. So we have like certain police patrols in our brain that are monitoring the behaviors that we are having. So we are not left alone in these automatic behaviors. There are regions that are constantly monitoring this activity. And those are the ones that we can prime in order to foster much better behaviors in our lives. So what is habit really? Habits seem to stand out as clear cut actions, but neurologically, they fall along a continuum of human behavior. At one end of this continuum, They are behaviors that can be done automatically enough to let us free brain space for different pursuits. Can you imagine if we don't have these kind of habits in place? We would be expending an extremely high amount of energy in those activities because we would have to decide a lot of things uh, and those decisions are of course, draining your energy and your brain occupies more than 80% of your overall energy. So this is extremely important. Our habits emerge naturally as we explore our physical and social environments and our inner feelings. So this is where we connect our emotions with the type of habits that we have and we all have experienced those things or those sensations or those itching butterflies sometimes, because we have those um, small triggers that are going to lead us either to the good habit or to the toxic one. We try out behaviors in particular contexts. We find the, the ones that seem beneficial and not too costly in terms of energy, and then we commit to those forming our routines and rituals. We all begin this process when we are very young, yet it comes with a trade-off that can be working against us. The more routine a behavior becomes, the less we are aware of it. We lose the fully alert surveillance of that behavior. Did I actually turn off the stove before I left the house, for example? Did I lock the door? Did I close my car and I check twice? This loss of surveillance is not only the one that can interfere with our daily functioning. It also can allow bad habits to creep up on us. So they are being um, highlighted, potentiated by this kind of lack of surveillance. Many people for instance, gain weight just a couple of pounds at a time because they don't realize that those addictive behaviors towards eating or those uh, treats or cravings that they can allow during weekends or during holidays, they are going to add up. They have this compound effect. Suddenly, they realize that they have been going on to the snack aisle or the donut shop more often and more frequently, scarcely thinking about it as they do it. And we have seen this kind of behavior whenever we have extremely uh, good reward in terms of the behavior that we are doing, we are performing, we are fostering this kind of habitual behaviors. These insidious failures to check our actions also means that habits can become akin to addictions. So this is the thin line between creating a good habit and this habit can stay as a good lifestyle choice, as a ritual, and you don't even have to think about it, or the toxic behavior or the bad habit becoming an addiction witness for example computer gaming internet gambling and constant texting and tweeting and of course alcohol or any kind of drug use those can become very dangerous addictions a repetitive addiction-driven pattern of behavior can take over part of what have been the deliberate choice. So that's why it is extremely difficult to break those kinds of behaviors. This stubbornness, in particular, has been a clue to uncovering the brain circuitry responsible for habit formation and maintenance. Habits become so ingrained that we perform them even when we do not want to. In part, because of what it is called reinforcement contingencies. For example, say you do a toxic behavior and then you are rewarded somehow, for example, smoking. When you smoke the cigarette, you feel that sensation of uh, easing the anxiety that you have. But when you have the next behavior and you are not rewarded or you are even punished, then you don't repeat that behavior. For example, a person that smokes, he or she, is being rewarded by the sensation of the cigarette or the nicotine or the activation of the receptors of dopamine promoting this kind of addiction. But then when he or she starts doing exercise, which is the healthy behavior, he or she starts feeling pain at the next day or even in the afternoon or he or she can have a lack of air, a lack of condition, stamina, and that is not the reward that he or she wants. So then he leaves the healthy behaviors. These consequences of our actions are the contingencies, push our future behavior one way or another. That's why the person keeps smoking and just quits on the exercise. Because the positive reward is in the smoking behavior, and the negative reward of pain is in the healthy behavior. So, how do we tweak these kind of responses in our brain? Signals discovered in the brain seem to correspond to this reinforcement-related learning, as shown in a study originally conducted by Schultz and Romo who are the two investigators or two researchers at the University of Fribourg in Switzerland. Particularly, these important prediction reward error signals which after the fact indicate that the mind's assessment of how accurate a prediction about a future reinforcement actually turn out to be, somehow the brain is computing these evaluations which will sculpt or shape our expectations and add or subtract value from particular course of action by monitoring our actions internally that means reflection and adding a positive or negative weight to them the brain reinforces specific behaviors shifting actions from deliberate to habitual, even when we know that we shouldn't gamble or overeat. So this is the key of paying attention to the behavior. What goes in the brain wiring to cause this shift and whether we could interrupt it? What can we do? In Massachusetts, in the MIT, Graybrier lab researchers and British psychologist, Anthony Dickson, Dickinson, sorry, had devised one particular technique to see if the habit is already formed. This was performed in 1980s and it is still widely used. He and his colleague taught lab rats in a text box to press the lever to receive food, treat as a reward. When the animals had learned this task well and were back in their cages, the experiment devalued the reward, either by letting the rats eat the reward to the point of oversatiation, or by giving them a drug that produced mild nausea after the reward was eaten. Later on, they brought the rats back to the experimental box and gave them the choice of pressing the lever or not. If a rat pressed the lever, even though the reward was now sickening, Dickinson considered their behavior to be a habit. So this is when we are really not able to break these habits. When we even have the negative reward and we don't even pay attention to that, it, it is already become an ingrained habit. But if a rat was mindful, if we can speak of mindfulness in terms of a rat, then it didn't didn't press the lever. And many animals demonstrate that. We can demonstrate that if we just pay attention to what we are doing, as though it realized that the reward was now unpleasant. So this is just this small space that you have to witness yourself as you are doing the behavior. And it is not about punishing yourself or it is not about the negative talk. It is about just first having the awareness that the habit can be interrupted. The test gave scientists a way to monitor whether or not a shift from purposeful to habitual behavior had occurred imprinting a habit on the brain. By using these variations of the basic test that we just spoke about, researchers, including Bernard Belling of the University of Sydney and Simon Kilcross of the University of New South Wales in Australia, have found clues suggesting that different brain circuits take the lead as deliberate actions to become habitual. New evidence from these experiments on rats, as well as on humans and monkeys also now points to multiple brain circuits that interconnect and they're regarded as the crowning glory of our mammalian brain, which are these regions, the striatum at the center of the more primitive basal ganglia which sit at the core of our brain. These circuits become more or less engaged as we act deliberately and habitually. To figure out how the brain stamps a behavior as one to make it a habit, this MIT lab recording was recording the electrical activity of small collections of neurons or brain cells in the striatum. What the group found Surprise them in terms of when the rats were first learning the maze and the route to arrive to the food. Neurons in the motor motor control part of the striatum were active the whole time the rats were running. But as their behavior became more habitual, neuronal activity began to pile up at the beginning and. End of the runs and quieted down during the most time in between. It was as though the entire behavior had become packaged with the striatal cells, noting the beginning and the end of each run. So, what is this suggesting? This is extremely important because this, is, this marks the beginning of the bad or good habit and the end. Of the good or bad habit. So these are the two points where we can perform actions, when we can awaken our awareness and start imprinting a new kind of habit or lifestyle choice. This was an unusual pattern. What seems to be happening was that the striatal cells were malleable. So this is the neural plasticity and we could help package movements together while leaving relatively few expert cells to handle the details of the behavior. So we can leave some of the extremely specialized cells to perform the actions, but we take out most of the power of our brain to do other activities. So that power that is not now performing the behavior, we can use it to be more aware of the beginning and the end of the behavior. And we can notice that if we really um, start allowing more time to the decisions that we are taking, we can see and we can sense, we can feel those sensations when we want to engage in these kinds of behaviors. For example, let's say eating, something that is rewarding or pleasurable, but it is toxic. We are noticing that we are eating more. And if we lose that opportunity, even at the end, we don't feel well. We feel that the food is over here, that we feel foggy. We feel um, feelings of guilt, feelings of... um, being diminished and a lot of emotional responses. So once you feel that those two timelines are extremely important to record the actions that you want to perform in the next time that you experience the same kind of behavior, even if you have triggers, how the habits form in terms of the brain, we use three steps to learn and lock in the habits. We explore a new behavior, we form the habit, and then we imprint it into the brain. Although scientists have not refined all the details in terms of the different sev- several connections that we can have in the brain, the striatum coordinates each step. Even though we seem to carry out habits without thinking, the infralimbic cortex, which is connected to your emotions, still monitors what we are doing. So there are three steps that I'm going to uh, narrate now so that you can really begin to know what is the map of the habits. Number one, the new behavior is explore. The prefrontal cortex communicates with the striatum and the striatum communicates with the midbrain where dopamine aids learning and assigns value to goals. These circuits, which are very uh, strong in terms of forming the behavior, form positive feedback loops, which help us figure out what does and does not work in terms of the behavior. So the first action is having the awareness. This is the prefrontal cortex. We have a, we have talked about this several times. This is the region of the brain that is going to help you to solve problems, to witness things and to stop a toxic habit in this case. So once this prefrontal cortex is aware, we can start twitching the behavior so that we don't perform it or we don't overuse it so that we don't release too much dopamine and we don't reinforce the behavior. The second step is where habit forms. As we repeat the behavior and we don't have awareness, A feedback loop between the sensory motor cortex and the striatum becomes strongly engaged, which helps us stamp routines into a single unit or chunk of brain activity. The chunk or the unit partly resides in the striatum and relies on dopamine input from the midbrain. So we still need the dopamine. So if we don't repeat these kind of behaviors, we are cutting off the repetition action and the release of dopamine, and we are breaking the habit. Number three, habit is imprinted and permitted. Once a habit is stored as a chunk of actions, the infralimbic cortex seems to help the striatum further imprint habit as a semi-permanent brain activity aided by dopamine the infralimbic cortex also seems to control when to allow us to engage in a habit shutting down this region can suppress deeply ingrained routines so what can we do still do not allow the habit to be performed Once you have awareness either in the beginning or at the end, now you have the experience. Now you have the attention placed on something that you don't want to do. And you really can start asking questions, having time for reflection and figuring out how to break the habit and stop doing it. Breaking bad habits. What can we do to break these bad habits? Our experiments offer many curious lessons. First, it is no wonder that habits are difficult to break. They become laid down and mark as seemingly standardized chunks of neural activity, a process that is involved in the work of multiple brain circuits. That's why it is also difficult. Yet, we still have choices. Surprisingly, even though the habits um, seemingly near automatic, they are actually under continual control by at least one part of the neocortex. So there is one region of the brain, the prefrontal cortex or the neocortex, and this region has to be online for the habit, habit to be enacted. So what does this mean? This means that as you Pay more attention to the actions that you are doing, you can disrupt the habit. It is as though the habits are there. So you know that you are going to engage in the habit, but they need the region to be online. They are ready to be real of if the neocortex determines that the same circumstances are right. But if there is some disruption, in the circumstances or the environment, then that's the window of opportunity that you can have to break them. Let's say that you have the bad habit of drinking soda, but now you know that this is the bad habit, that this is the toxic behavior. Now you are aware of that and you have either at the beginning or at the end, realized that you are doing it again. What is the first thing that you can start doing to not drinking too much soda? First, don't buy it. Just buy one and that's it. You, as you finish that one, you are not going to be uh, in the mood to go and buy more. So this is the first disruptive behavior. Second, what can you do? in order to stop drinking too much soda you can just drink half of the bottle and then mix it with water as it doesn't taste as it tastes fully with soda you won't want more and you 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 will just drink that one glass so this is a second choice to disrupt the behavior their choice is to put the soda bottle in a part of the refrigerator where you cannot see it, where it is not easily available. And anytime you open the fridge, you don't see the bottle of the soda, reminding you that you want to drink it. So those are three simple actions to disrupt the behavior and to make it more difficult for the toxic one to start laying out. If we do that, we are breaking the regions and we are breaking the liberation of dopamine. Even if we are not conscious of monitoring these habitual behaviors, after all, they have a value to us and we have circuits that actively keep track of them on a moment to moment basis. We may reach out for the toxic ones without thinking, but we have a surveillance system in place that is at work and that can be the monitoring system in order to disrupt these habits. And that is the awareness that you have. That is the pause in the actions. Those are the reflection time that you can have even if it's two seconds that you are witnessing that you are doing the toxic habit, don't um, punish yourself, just be aware of that. And that pause, and one single question, why am I doing it, is going to disrupt the habit. So I I hope that these lessons enlighten you to, to understand why behaviors are difficult to break and How can you break these behaviors by simply paying more attention to the things that you are doing? We can always do that either at the beginning of the habit or at the end of the habit. And write down what is happening within you. What are the emotions? Why are you doing it? Is there a real reason or do you just want to feel the reward? You just want to feel the pleasure. And what is the consequence of that? So start asking those questions in terms of the toxic habits, and you will see that the next time you do it, the answer is going to pop in your mind. Thank you for paying attention. Thank you for listening. And if you like the reflection, please help me to share this episode. We will listen to each other on the next one. Bye. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode and integrating with this community to cultivate more awareness and consciousness in your inner health to create a new generation of humans. If you want more tools to grow your inner health with science and spirituality merch, visit com. Remember that you can subscribe to become a premium member and receive plenty of benefits in all five areas of your life nutrition, metabolism, emotional resilience, consciousness and abundance.